A warm welcome to Two Men on the Run. And today we've got a very special guest, the Merseyside team manager for fell running. He's looking for new recruits, Mr. John Hunt. That's good. You plunge yourselves in. Good. Yeah. Like it. <laughs> so, John, tell us about how do you how are you going to find these new recruits? I know you've already recruited me, but uh, well, you've been recruited before, mate. You're coming back for another go. <laughs> uh, well, so I'm the Merseyside County Amateur Athletics Fell Secretary, and with that, uh, one of my ambitions is to put in a Merseyside team into the British Intercounties every year, which actually we have done historically, we have done that, and I've just picked up the baton from uh, Nigel Crompton and before that, Leo Carroll. Nice. And nice. I used to run in the Intercounty team, trying not to anymore, but anyway, one of my big recruitment drives is, I'm 56 and I should not be running for a county team in the Intercounties. Right if we're going to win a medal okay and I, I it's really about winning medals once you're in the british championship or the english championship it's about winning medals it's not about taking part it's not about making up the numbers and and actually merseyside for for i started running in merseyside and actually you know i used to do the wednesday night grand prix series five milers and there are fast runners in merseyside you know you'd i'd rack up thinking, okay, I can do this in between fell races, you know, Saturday race, five miler on the road around Crocky Park or Stanley Park or something, nice bit of speed work in that race, and then do another race the Saturday after. But you get oh, you get a good hiding on the Wednesday night thinking, oh, hang on a minute, these boys are pretty serious. They're pretty handy. You need to turn up ready to race because these, these are talented runners that are turning up in Liverpool to run. So now I'm the fell secretary. It's like, hang on a minute, let's just get some of these talented runners for whatever they're interested in, track, field, road running, cross country. Some of those could just come and have a go at fell running. And actually, with the following win, they'll do very, very well. I love your ambition going forward because this Merseyside team, you're looking to be competitive. And uh, this coming Sunday... In what's that place called in the latest? Sedba. Sedba. Yeah, uh, we're off to the Howgills, Yeah. I'm going to be a, I'm, I'm going to be blessed to be a part of that team with Chris Pound and Lawrence Eccles and yourself. But looking ahead to more sort championships like that, you're looking to strengthen and to build something that will be very competitive. Yeah. So we, so we, uh, I call ourselves the Flatlanders. Yes. So, uh, and uh, in some circles, particularly South Liverpool Running Club when it existed you know I was an adopted scouser where are you from John? so I'm from Morecambe a little bit further north oh, yeah. Yeah. great football team just just about to maybe survive relegation fingers right. crossed right. on the brink yeah. the lowest income in the professional football league is it about the third, third division? Uh, uh, no sorry. we're in uh, league, so it's the old third division league one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. can't buy a win but, but anyway so uh, in that in that South South Liverpool scenario, I'm I'm the ad adopted scouser, but when did you arrive? In, oh, let me look back at the, the the time when you when you arrived in Liverpool. Eighties, late eighties. Really young, young young man then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
Did you have a running background when you arrived in Liverpool? No, it was we were, so I had a, a better background to come to Liverpool. I played football. Right, yeah. And, yeah. And that's what you do in Liverpool, you know. Yeah. You go to the cages and you play five-a-side and then you go out Saturday, Sunday and you play football. And it, but it's very competitive football. So would you be in your 20s when you started running? Yeah, so I was in, actually, I was actually, it was be 26, right. 26, 27, something like that. And what was that initial spark that got you in, in, involved? Uh, I could. I wanted to get a little bit fitter for football because I wasn't quite as fit as I was. So you start to realise that actually I'm not going to be able to play this game forever. But you you realise that quite early on. You know, in, in your mid twenties, you're like, oh, I, I'm not at the peak of my game here. I might have to do some other stuff. Right. So the running was a good fit for that. But also, I'd uh, coming from Morecambe, I'd also been spending my life in the hills. And actually, I'd got very into solo free climbing. Right. And so you don't carry anything. And actually, if you can run into those places and run out, you can get a lot more climbing done. Right. So you've, you're sort of accidentally running in the hills because you just get in there, in and out in the daylight. That's a big deal in the hills. If you can get in, get your job done and get out and it's not got dark yet, you just change the, the length of time you're going to be out by orders of magnitude. It's a little bit different now. Technology's moved on. You get these daylight Cree LEDs that actually, they've changed climbing. They've changed ice climbing. What's completely. that, sorry? What, what is one of those things? So these super bright, super bright torches right. that you can now get. They've, you know, they're £2.50 from China now, but yeah. a good one, 30 quid buys you something that just makes daylight in front of you. So night running in the hills is completely changed for everybody. You know, it's daylight. Whereas previously, if you were going out for a, a big day in the hills climbing, at some point your, ha- your head torch with two triple A's or two double A yeah. batteries was going to let you down and you're thinking, oh, I might have to finish this off in the dark. So in, in your mid-26 when you started, you went straight into the fell type running with your background being walking. No, I didn't. I, I, I sort of, I, I started doing uh, a bit of a inner city. So I worked in the Royal on the end of the Royal Liverpool. Uh, I used to run every other day uh, down from there, down uh, through, uh, down towards the the Liver buildings, straight down towards the Liver buildings, along to Parliament and the Anglican Cathedral, and then cut across. It's about five miles, near enough five miles. And I, I, every other day I'd race my time. Right. So I went out and thought, oh, well, that's all right, it's a fairly decent five mile of that. But I'd race that time. I'd just chase my own time. Yeah. Constantly chase my own time. And that was great, actually. You know, chasing your own time was really motivating. Yeah. And at that point, you think, oh, quite, quite competitive within myself and quite competitive. And you thought, oh, well, I bet, you know, I bet there are races. And it's, it's really that naive. You're like, I bet there are, you know, I bet there are running races, apart from the London Marathon. Yeah. I bet there are running races. And then you find out, yeah, there are a bunch of five milers. And uh, I didn't do them. I found out that there was fell racing. And the first fell race I did was the Pendle Hill. It's four and a half miles. It's just a dash up and down. Yeah. Finished 71st. I was so not happy with 71st. Yeah. I was like, that's, that, you walked it. You effectively walked it. You know, I must be able to do better than that. And that was the, the single biggest deal that motivated me away from playing football towards running. Because must be able to do better than that, must be able to do a lot better than that. And then that competitive, you know, there's people at the front that want to win. 
I'm just making them look good. I'm just, you know, turning up, making up the numbers and making them look good. Yeah. Uh, and did that for, for quite a while, realised that... Did you join a club as a part of that? Uh, well, I ended up joining the club, uh, partly, again, from the from the community of Merseyside and, and in the Royal, someone said, you know, you need to be joining the club if, you, if you're just going to get anything like serious about this. And I was like, well, actually, you know, I quite like running because all I have to do is in that window in the day where I think I've got time to go for a run, just put my trainers on and I'm gone. Mm. I, I don't have to drive to the gym. I don't have to piss about. Waiting for, I don't have to pop about waiting for anybody. It's nice to run together. But actually, you know, I'm master of my own little time in the day. Put my trainers on, get my job done. Might be an hour, might be two hours. And then I come back and I've, I've been, I've done it. And it was dead easy. I didn't have to find parking or anything. So that kind of finding that moment in the day to do that was really was really liberating. And then it you sort of like I, with that I was like okay I could I could see what a club's like. And I went to the metal box South Liverpool out at Speak by the so it's the social club of the Ford manufacturing plant that was there. And and the the lads and lasses there would you know they moved my my view of running up by a whole different level because they were so enthusiastic, they were so motivated, all at the different levels, but there was enough there where it's about winning. You know, there was enough, just a handful of really good runners there where it was, for them, it was about winning. Yeah. And we'd go out on a, a Wednesday night and we'd do uh, an easy 10 around speak and hail and at some point, there'd be one or two of those lads that it was about winning for, where there'd be a sharp end. And we'd just all go off the sharp end, you know, and an easy run was 60 minutes. An easy 10 was 60 minutes. So I was like, this is not easy. I'm having to work for 60 minutes. And then a couple of those, well, yeah, a couple of those said, there is another easy run uh, on the Wirral tomorrow night. We'll give you a lift, because I'm going anyway. So, uh used to get a lift over from Liverpool to the Wirral and, and first I remember the first week I got there it's not an easy 10 this this is a fast 10 right. it's like <laughs> I just did an easy 10 yesterday how fast is a fast 10 and, and that was just a, you know without pinning your number on that was a back they were just back to back fast 10s so it didn't really matter what I did the rest of the week I was just doing two back to back fast 10s every week and then you know in and out of races so it was just a matter of not falling to bits. I spent years not falling to bits and then turning up at races and getting increasingly competitive because I was doing these two back-to-back fast ends yeah. and not, not ending up as a basket case with this, that and the other, torn, broken, snapped. I was very lucky to be able to put a solid block of that kind of effort in without having to, without having to think about it. I mean, that was... What I learned about a club was you don't have to think about it. The biggest difficulty you've got with club running is turning up. Once you've actually gone to the trouble of turning up, doing whatever the club's doing is, you know, you can switch off and just yeah. just get on with it. You don't have to think about it. Did you find yourself uh, creeping up this from 71st place in your initial race? You were yeah. climbing that leaderboard. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's very, very easy to get into the top 
with a bit of commitment, it's very, very easy to get into the top 10, top five. You can be a top five finisher. So that's where you found yourself then? Yeah, you yeah. very quickly find yourself in the top five. Right. But actually winning yeah. from being in the top, for, that's a big step. You know, it, it's so cold. That's, I can relate to that because that's, that's where I, often I find myself and I've got, got to beat Matthew. That, that's the, the difference. Me trying to beat Matthew is that yeah, 5%. Yeah. It's impossible. That's or? right. Well, <laughs> so you, you've... <laughs> Being in that top five is interesting. That's very, very motivating because you, you're, you know. Is that where it becomes an addiction? Perhaps? Yeah, you're not just turning up, are you? No. We're turning up and we're competitive. Yeah. And, and once you're in that space, then going out, training and doing those, those sessions that you hate two or three times a week. So an effort session for me, I can procrastinate and, you know, work, toy, toy with which shoes am I going to wear yeah. for an hour because I really hate the session. And it's not which shoes am I going to wear. It's the fact that I'm trying to delay the pain that's coming in the effort session. I'm just messing about in my own head thinking, this is going to hurt. There must be something else I can do instead of going and doing this. I can be an hour late for that. Or, you know, I've just... Actually, you're not in the right mind to do this because you've just wasted an hour and a half talking yourself into which pair of shoes you need to wear to get the best out of this session. It took me a long time to realise that. But you're in that trap then. You're in that trap because actually I just need that. And it, <clears throat> I would relate it to that last 1%. So if you're in the top five regularly, you're in the top 5% usually, but actually what you need to be now to win is in the top percent. The difference between winning and losing in running or in most elite sports is less than 1%. So Hussein Bolt, he wins by less than 1%. Oh, oh, no, he wins by a country mile. You're like, well, actually, time-wise, he wins by less than 1%. And in the London Marathon, I haven't checked the stats for this, but when I've looked back at times in the London Marathon, the winner's time compared to seconds was less than 1%. The margin was less than 1%. Yeah. So you're talking about winning and losing, the margin is less than 1%. So what are you going to do to get that 1%? Because that's all we're talking about. And then you just... You, you, you're gone then aren't you basically you've just got to try and actually not get drawn into that and come back to this is a hobby it's not I'm not paid professionally to do this I could do infinite number of things here and live like a monk and never touch a drop of alcohol and never have a chip don't eat crisps don't have pizza there's all kinds of things you can rule out of your life to get that 1% and we all know it, they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the research is full of what you can do to get that 1%. You're like, okay, I've got to balance that with having a life. Yeah. Having a life, it's a hobby. But on the start line, when you pinch a number on it, it's not a hobby anymore. <laughs> it's just not a hobby anymore. Was that the decision you came to? I still play with that space. Yeah. I still play with that space. because. Uh, so I'm at the age now where I should have retired. And I set various markers in my running career where when I get to that point, I'm definitely going to retire. Right. So uh, I was going to retire at 40. And then it turned out, actually, you know, life begins at 40. I only started at 26. Why would I retire? By the 40? way, this, you'd had, you were in that 5%. You'd had some successes where you'd won races. Yeah, yeah, I'd won races. And I, 40 it, was the time when you were going to just walk away from it all. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 up, up to getting to 40, I, 
I got drawn into the Parbold Hill race. Oh, yeah. Because it's the closest race. But at the time, you were racing against the Cadwalladers. These lads were fast. And they would turn up to the Parbold Hill race for a laugh and, and just they'd be gone, gone. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and the Parbold, the Parbold became my first, uh, first race in my mind that was like, okay, I need to win that. I could win that I need to win that yeah. and it became their focus it, it, you couldn't keep it at simple. what age sorry was this when you got that focus to win it to win the power bold you've been in your 30s uh, so it probably be within a couple of years of starting right, yeah. I discovered the yeah. power bold I see you mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. got a good hiding from uh, the, one of the Cadwalladers yeah. with the other one torturing me side by side I was like okay <laughs> you know, this, this, this has got to be my race at some point this has got to be my race and it happened uh, that that's on the Saturday, but on the Sunday there's a, there's another great race, but it's a fell race. It's called the Long Mind in Shropshire, ten miler. It's a good it, 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 so it's a hilly cross country. Yeah. It's not that technical in terms of a fell race, so it's a, it's a runner's course. So I thought ah, I could win that. You know, it's got a bit more climb. It it, it it'll take the Cadwalladers of this world out of it because there's a bit of climb and a bit of descent more importantly. So it won't favour them, but it will favour someone that can, you know, it's pretty handy at holding five minute miles for a, for a decent distance. Yeah. So I thought I could win that. So again, it, just a personal goal was win Parbold on the Saturday and then win the Long Mind on the Sunday. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. in that, and you, I don't know. I, did you get, did you achieve that? Oh, no, you got to the end quickly. The best I ever did was first and third. So you won the par bold? I won the par bold yeah. and, and I was absolutely delighted. What that year was that? I can't remember. It would have been... Uh, Might have been 2002, something yeah. like that, 2004. Oh. And I can remember getting to the end, winning it and thinking, okay, you're halfway there. I was like, that is so mean. That was a target. Yeah. Winning the par bold was a target. And now you've won it. You've just got through the finish full. You've picked up your Mars bar. And you're thinking about, okay, you're halfway there. You need to go home, go to bed and get ready for tomorrow. What kind of target was that to set personally? That's brutal. I I know with Powerball, like the first year I I ran it, um, me me Uncle Neil messaged me and he he said, uh, he said, you've you've got, you've got to win it seven times to take the, well, I mean, to take the family crown, but it wasn't really because that was the family, sixth time for winning it was, accumulation of him winning it my dad winning it and my mum's winning the race so it was like well you know I really really need to win it a couple of times to get to be to be sort of at least at the top of the family chain Um, but it was seven times to beat the cumulative wins of them all so I I, I mean that day I jumped in my car went home and I just went to bed well, what does the, the wife say about this at the time? Uh, so I wasn't married at the time then. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you had a bit more flexibility with that, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's a different life balance, isn't it? So once you've got uh, a wife, a partner and kids, then yeah, yeah, it's... it's that well, maybe they'd be understanding for you. Well, to, well that's what I mean about it's not professional. So you always have to rebalance mm. with this is my hobby. And, and actually, so work helps me with that. So work will take me away from becoming completely engrossed in running. Yes. And it, and it 
so when I wasn't married, I, I was, so I was climbing, I was windsurfing and I was running. And it would be nothing for me to finish a race, jump in the car and go to the nearest crag right. and do a few hours climbing yeah. after running. But I was exhausted. And it, and it would be nothing then for me to sleep in my van and do another race the next day. Do you think like, that's partly what gave you that endurance? I'm invincible. But you're invincible in that, at that yeah. age. You know, from your, from your early 20s till your, th- till your 30s, mid-30s, you're invincible. Completely invincible. So doing that stuff is just part of life. But actually, if you wanted to be the number one in the world, that's just not how you do it, is it? You've got to do less. You've got to focus. And the times where I flirted with that, they're like, yeah, okay, John, you could come and do that and have a vest, but you'd have to stop all this. And like, oh, I'm not stopping any of that. Uh, that's, that, I, I'm, I'm, more in, I'm more involved in, you know, doing my other stuff and having a life than, I'd have, you know, you're not, I'm not going to be able to leave my job. If you make me an international athlete, I'm not going to be able to leave my job. So that's not going to work for me because I'll have to stop everything else that makes life worth living to come and do that. Well, so, I, can, I can see it cross your mind though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 but I, I think you've got to make a decision, haven't you? Which, you know, I yeah, get a lot so, out of it. I, I completely understand what you're saying. It's, it's that balance, isn't it? The hobby, you keep bringing yourself, hang on, this is a hobby, this. <laughs> but at the same time, the hobby is so important because you want to do your very best. Well, and, um, yeah, it's it's very difficult to balance. So, so what I get out of running, it comes with age. You sound like an old man, which I am. I'd have to say, I have to concede I am an old man. But at some point in my forties, I realised that actually running is a big part of my life. I didn't think it was a big part of my life, no. but when I turned forty. Uh, I, I sort of realised, okay, you're not going to retire. You've not achieved all the bits and pieces that you want to achieve in this hobby. Uh, but if you're not going to retire, then you need to take it a bit more seriously. So up until up until I turned 40, I wasn't really taking it seriously. I, I could win. I knew I could win, but I was, you know, it was it was part of everything else. I was like, you might have to just do less races a year. You might start have to focus on this because you know. I, it's race Saturday, race Wednesday, race Saturday, and then do. When, by the time you've done that for two or three weeks, you're over raced, you're overtrained, you're turning in some sensationally bad performances with a number on, and, and, and sensationally bad would be like seven, be like oh no, I just got beat by six people that would never beat me, that that's not acceptable. You need to race less. You just need to race less because you gave that way. You gave that race away. You made people look good. And at, at that point, these are things that you were learning along along the way. Yeah, it was well. It, it, so it wasn't upsetting me. It was the joy of learning it. You know, I'm my own lab rat. For a living, I'm a research scientist, so I'm a lab rat. You know, I can in running and climbing, I can just test what my own body can do, find the limit, and then find how far you how far you can go at that limit or just below that limit. So you can have a lot of fun with that. You can have a lot of fun with diet as long as you don't go crazy. Can have a lot of fun with how many races is too many races. Yeah. All all of the things that you know come and go as the headlines for anything and everything. You know, the carbon plate is a great example. I didn't buy any of those because that's cheating, and then it wasn't cheating. 
and I turned up uh, actually last year to a five mile road race. I don't road race, but I turned mm. up to a five mile road race. And as you do, you check your shoe, check your shoelaces. I checked my shoelaces, which was a mistake. I accept that checking my shoelaces at that particular point in time on the front line, because you've got to be on the front line if you're going to win. So you're on the front line, 55. Everyone else is not 55. They're about half your age. Look down, check my shoes, which are racing flats from last century, because I haven't road raced for forever, but I dig them out of their garage and put my racing flats on. And you look down, and like, everyone's got vapor flies on. You're like, oh, I've heard about those. <laughs> Gun goes and they all go, see ya, bouncing off like they're on the moon. And you're like, oh, that's not a style that I'm used to seeing. <laughs> and then you're absolutely spanking it to, to try and keep up with them. But they're still, you know, all the way around that five miles. They're bouncing past me going, oh, oh, you do, mate. You look like you're running pretty flat there. <laughs> I got some. You, you, you invested in a purse. I got some, yeah. Did you find it made a difference? Nearly fell over twice in the first race I did because my legs were going so fast. <laughs> I did, literally, by the time I got a mile and a half into it, I was laughing at myself so much. And my legs were going so fast and I was bouncing along. I did, tripped over myself. I thought, oh no, you're going to have to concentrate. These boots, <laughs> these boots are a bit special. And I did exactly the same thing at four miles. Nearly tripped over myself again. I was like, focus, focus. These, these shoes are doing something to you that's different. Like it, but I, I love them. They're absolutely great. It's a shame they're so expensive because yeah. if you can't afford a pair of them, you're not in the race. You're just not in the race. Yeah, I understand that. It's, um, mm. Now, listen, you've worked with some, some of these some famous football clubs. Can, can you to remind me of, of, uh, of the role that you've played within, within these particular teams? Yeah, well, so... For my research, I do uh, implanted medical devices into human beings and other animals. So hip joints, heart valves, blood vessels, uh, last 20 years, uh, cellular therapies. So you can implant stem cells, now more commonly called progenitor cells. So there are some cells in your body that are there to repair you. I'm interested in repairing things like cartilage, bone, uh, muscle, but... Uh, you know, we use them increasingly now for different types of cancer. They've been used for leukemia since the 1950s, last century. I, I do enjoy saying last century because I span two centuries now. And, and a lot of uh, the younger people that were born after 2000 are like, yeah, you, you're from the last century. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's true. That's absolutely accurate. I can't contest that. So I might as well embrace it. But so that that kind of cellular therapy and the and as we all know, anything you put into a body causes inflammation. So we're very, very sensitive to things that puncture the skin, causing inflammation, redness, swelling, infection. And uh, our body has some white blood cells that circulate all the time that defend us against that. So if you get an infection, then these white blood cells will all en masse accumulate and defend you however if you are an athlete and you train your ability your your body's ability to defend itself so your suppressed immunology is what they say in the magazine that's true uh, it reduces so that if it reduces if you're overtraining then surely that's a measure of fatigue it's a measure of overtraining so 
whilst I'm looking at this this set of white blood cells for how your body might react to an implant that goes in it, I can actually look at your level of fatigue. So if I can look at your level of fatigue, I can tell you when you're overtraining. I can tell you when you're on the threshold of overtraining. And, and come back to me being the lab rat, I can tell you for a fact, I go through bouts of deliv deliberate overtraining, either from over-racing and still training, end up in that flat line of fatigue, or I haven't quite realised I'm fatigued, and my little blood test will show you that. So you could use the blood test with football teams, any team, any sports person, any person actually at all, but if you've got a football team and you want to know the fitness of your squad and which 11 to pick, then that, that's an interesting uh, objective tool, a quantitative way to say, I've got a squad of 22 who's fit. Not who says they're fit, but who, who, who by this test is fit, who could play? And then if you do it as a function of time, every week or every month, whatever you want to do, however many times you want to do the test, you can see how fit your squad is. And you can also see when your squad is approaching that threshold where you're going to cross, out, cross over into fatigue. You can also see how many, how many players in your squad are fit enough to play on Saturday. And, that, and, that, and that's where... So on and off, I've done this quite, quite a lot over the years. And at... at the top level, but also at the other levels of football. And at the other levels of football, your squad might not give you 11 fit players for Saturday. And that's where there's a bit of a sense of humour failure with the information I'm giving you as the manager, the coach, and the, the chairperson of the football club. Because they're like, John, your data says I've got seven fit players for Saturday. Do you know the rules of football? You're like, <laughs> a bit, yeah. And they're like, well, so you know my problem. I said, I can see your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so I give you the data. I give you information. You're the professionals. This is your sport. You make the decision. This information has always been there for you. You've always been faced with this. I'm just giving you a, a data point that says it's a fact in this way. Now you have to work with that. Yeah. And that's usually at the point where they stop doing the test. <laughs> oh, right, okay, yeah. Because the test is not helpful at that point where you don't have enough players to complete a team of 11. That's not helpful anymore. Thank, thank you for your... There's, there's only seven out of 22. Then they've been overtraining then, or do they need a rest, but they can't. Yeah, they need to... that's right. And then you, quite by accident, uh, you end up with interventions. So I can give you the data, and particularly at the lower levels of football, you're like, well, what do we do about that? I'm like, well, that's, you, that's your job. That's your job. You must have a nutritionist. Yeah. You must have trainers. It shouldn't have got to that point, perhaps. Oh, no, it's easy. Yeah. It, it's really easy. I mean, I do it myself. I recognise it in myself. You get drawn into, yeah. this is going great, let's carry on. Well, I, I would say in my own training, because this marathon block I'm currently doing, has been the one where it's been a short block for a start so I haven't maybe trained as intense as I would have done in, in previous blocks because it, it, you know it's, it's only been a 10 week block so I only knew I was doing it 10 weeks out the team was selected um, rather than a 14 16 week build 
But I would also say that because I've changed coach and we're doing things a little bit differently to the way I would traditionally do stuff, I've also not hit a point where I think usually three weeks, four weeks out from the marathon, I get to a point where I'm in, I'm in the shop with my mum and I am saying literally every five, ten minutes and getting on her nerves going, I feel really tired, you know, I'm really tired. I could just go to sleep right now, you know. <laughs> and, like, and she starts going, I know you've told me, this is like the tenth time you've told me today. I'm like, yeah, but I, I just want you to know, I'm, just, I'm so tired at the moment. Like, yeah. Whereas I haven't felt like this block at all. And like, I mean, I, I've, I'm going to bed at a good time. Or so I think I've got, you know, that sleep's been better than it has been for years and years. And um, but I also think the training has allowed me to to just rest up and, and recover a little better because it was all very the training pre- previously was all very short, intense stuff. I like really aimed at at my strength, which is my speed, because I'm very speedy orientated and I'm lacking in the endurance, which for a marathon runner is a little bit a weird thing to be, but great because I mean there's so much room for me to improve on that. Um, whereas this blockers my coach is very one very scientifically driven. So I was in the lab this morning doing a lactic threshold suboptimal test, which is the first time I've ever done one. Um, the only time I've ever done them on like um, England Athletics mar- Marathon camps. I've always skewed the data because I've gone and done park run first in the morning and then jumped into the session because you know I wanted to do that for the fun of it. Or yeah. I've decided not to do the the lactic threshold session, so my data is going to be completely skewed because I'm doing. So this was back in Leeds, back in Feb. The, the rest of the group that were all doing the, the marathon in Copenhagen all decided to do the lactic threshold session, which was K efforts, so you could just keep checking. Whereas I joined Phil Sesman doing his session because because I was coming off not being particularly fit at the time, my coach wanted me to do a workout rather than do it for the testing purposes. So we did that. Now, we still did my lactic thresholds at the end of my 5,000 metres effort between my K efforts and between my 500 metre efforts. But the data was completely skewed because it wasn't a, a session you put in place if you were going to do that yeah. sort of testing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it gave us no real information and data. So today was was the bit to give. Obviously, it's only a, a week and a half to, to the marathon, so we didn't want to do a full maximal test or anything like that. But so we did the suboptimal sort of testing. I'm I'm just waiting on the, the results of, of, of that to, to get sent across to me, sort of thing. But um, but yeah, my coach wants that data because she's very analytically driven. And she wants that to then obviously be able to work and optimise me and increase that threshold as we go into the next block and the block after that and things like that so that we can bring those those times down and give me a better prediction of what is the optimal race speed and, and pace for me to be going at rather than the way I typically race, which is all guns blazing from the start and hope I can hang on for dear life, which when you're doing a marathon isn't the way you race a marathon, but it's the way I've always raced. So um, every previous one in my in my in my early years of running, I did the Chester Zoo five k. Yeah. First five k I've ever done in my life. Wrapped up. It was inside the zoo on a whatever midweek evening race. I, I was absolutely I was fizzing at the start of this because I'd never done five k <laughs> and it was only three miles. How hard could it be? Never done anything like that in my life. I had no idea. What, how fast we were going to go off. So the gun went off and I just went. I was 100 metres ahead by the time we'd done 400 metres. I was like, wow, this is... Why are they all going so slow? Absolutely blasting round the zoo. And I got to about a mile and a half, dead. <laughs> absolutely hanging on. And they all, yum, 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 come past me. <laughs> Finished about 10. Or, uh, really, you know, shaking my head going, wow, you just don't go off. Straight yeah. off, do you? You, there's a bit of pace involved in this. Yeah. 
And then if it's a five k, is still one of my hardest races to pace. Because yeah. it's super, oh, I mean, it is cause it's super fast. Degree, yeah, it, it, to a degree, it is. You can't go off too fast, but you you can't go off slow. Oh, no, but, you, so you definitely you can't make can, the time up. You definitely it. can go off too yeah. fast, and and yeah. it'll end badly for you. And you can go off too slow, and you're not in the race. Yeah. So the margin for error for five k is zero. There yeah. is zero margin for error. Whereas you know a half marathon or a marathon. Uh, but that's all right. I can make that up. There's still plenty of time to go, and in an in an fell race, you can definitely make up the time, definitely. So, because I had this road running activity and the ten mile back to back ten milers, so a lot of the fell races would, you know, there'd be a run out to the fell, mm-hmm. and then we'd start on the fell bit. So by the time we got to the fell, I'd be, you know, oh, there's John. <laughs> Where's John going? So yeah. I'd be fifty, hundred meters or more ahead of them and they'd all come trotting past me on the climb going do you know what if you just ran off a little bit more sensibly at the beginning you'd do a lot better I'd be like you got to play to your strengths play to your strengths I'd catch you up on the running I'd catch you up on the drop on the running like no I don't think you will actually you went off a bit too fast and that took me a long time because the thrill of being on the start line and being in that you know, competitive, I could compete it. Yeah. was just trying to keep a lid on my own excitement on the start line. If it was a short fell race, wasted. Absolute total waste of time. Yeah. I would have already lost before the gun went off because I would have overcooked myself in mental preparation. I'd be just like, ah, oh, I'm so fizzed up for this. <laughs> this is so exciting. It's going to be a great race. And then we'd do it and be like, oh, I'm knackered. I'm already exhausted. Yeah, I don't like short pedal races. <laughs> just can't quite keep the lid on it in the re- before the race yeah. to do well in the race. I just need something over ten miles, preferably over twenty, where I can just okay. There's a there's a much more balanced approach to this. Yeah. I can be a bit more tactical and I can be a bit more <clears throat> controlled within my own approach to running. There's a bit of history to that Rivington Pike race. Yeah, but that's a short. Yeah, it's a sprint. Yeah. Have you ever had any success in that? that uh, so I would say no. I've, I think I've been like sixth, seventh. Right. No. No. So that's a... So we, 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 we don't have it currently as the Mersey Champs race. But when we brought in the Merseyside... Uh, Selection race? No, County Champs race. Right. So it would be about 2003 we brought in the a, a fell champs race into Merseyside and uh, actually it would be it would it would be 2002 and the reason why I know it's 2002 is Johnny Mello won it mm-hmm. and I missed the start <laughs> oh god I missed the start because this was the Rivington Pike yeah yeah, yeah and it was yeah. the first time we we're going to do a, a Merseyside County Champs and uh, did he win overall Oh no, I don't think he did actually. I think he was he was close. He was definitely in the top five. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I we we just had our first child, and I persuaded the wife that we'd go and do the Rivington. But the Rivington's on uh, Easter Saturday. It's always on Easter yeah. Saturday. It's two o'clock in the afternoon, and the conversation at home was it's well three o'clock in the afternoon. It, uh, we don't. We, there's no rush. We'll be all right. And I was like, there is a bit of a rush. There is a start time. There is a gun. We could miss it. And, it, and anyway, we did miss it. We turned up and uh, I'm very, very casual. And, and my wife, she's like, you're very casual. 
you're not usually like this for a race and we've already missed it <laughs> I beg your pardon I said, we've already missed it that's why I'm so casual <laughs> uh, it's finished we've not just missed the start it's, <laughs> it's finished and that, that was the first Merseyside challenge yeah. What, yeah. why had there not, not been any uh, uh, I don't know well it, so again come back to so we're flatlanders Merseyside we're flatlanders so is that not an issue with, with your ambition to find a successful team is that the biggest problem that, that we have to create a winning team with, with flatlanders uh, well no my biggest problem is that we've got a lot of really fast runners that could do well in other running disciplines and bringing them out of that to try fell running is quite a high risk and yourself included it's quite high risk to go fell running well my coach didn't want me doing this on Sunday but he said I'll, I'll never stop anyone from racing and in my mind I thought felt well I can do a job for the team and use it as a, a long Sunday run and that's, that's what I intend to do but uh, to bring these other guys in well no the problem I think is, is uh, how do you mix these different disciplines are you either a fell runner I imagine fell running goes very well with cross country yeah but then these fast 5k's which a lot of people seem to be into I imagine you could go faster if you were a fell runner and mixing that recipe in a certain way you could go really fast for 5k as a fellow runner but how do you get that balance and the other thing is when you go around the clubs locally they don't have a recipe for that they don't seem to have a sort of a, a mix of two different disciplines yeah so I think uh, road running cross country and fell running if you mix them that's a really powerful mix because the, the yeah. fell running will give you a strength a core strength particularly running down it'll give you a core strength that's going to help you run faster on the road definitely it's going to going to make cross country a lot easier however if you're a fell runner like me then dipping into the road running and i i'm getting more back into doing the occasional road run now because i recognize it in myself i should never have stopped that because at, not only at the start of a fell race i'll just leave you but at the end of a fell race you know if it's 17 miles and there's a mile running on the track and i can see you at your history I don't even think about catching you. You're already history. I'm thinking about the people I can't see ahead of me because I'm going to hit the road and I'm going to do five or six minute miling on that road. And six minute miling or six and a half even, it's not fast. For a road runner, it's not yeah. fast. But for a fell runner who trains, you know, lives in North Wales or lives and trains in the Lake District, I don't run that fast. You know, I run downhill that fast, but I don't run on the flat that fast because I don't do any flat running. So you get them on a flat section track, and you can do five and a half. You've just—it's a big smile on your face because you're like, you are going at a different speed. You are history, and that I used to love that, and they used to hate me for it. They absolutely used to hate me for it. They'd be like, "Don't be, don't be, don't be messing me about on the run in." I was like, "No." If I can see you on the running, you know exactly what's going to happen. And it did. It used to drive them mad. Like, that's because you do all that running in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a bit, there's a bit in my training that's right for the flat because I live in the flat places. And if we get on the flat bit, it's just always, I'm always going to tear you apart. 
I went for a run. Uh, it was a, a recce of that particular Longman race that you mentioned uh, most recently, what, the yeah, championship race. Yeah, yeah. And uh, myself and, and I'll give James Stewart a shout out. Uh, he he was wrecking the course, um, and I couldn't keep up with him. We were going up through through the long men, and he's ten years older than me. But it, I felt when I was climbing these these very steeping, which I wasn't used to because I'm not. I thought this would make me so much more powerful for cross country, which I'd, I'd, I'd certainly like to be much better at. Um, on the master scene, which we mentioned, and uh, I thought, how could I, you know, blend it? So the odd long run in the fells, perhaps yeah. on a Sunday, not all, not always on the flat, but perhaps the long mend occasionally. Well, but how do you get that sort of mix? What what's the percentages? Does it depend on what are you aiming for in the in the, in the season, and and. Do you write everything down and then how do you blend that percentage between the fell, the flat and the... Andy, Andy Davis is a, a very good example of, uh, of blending it, I would, I would oh say. Oh yeah, he's from Oswestry. Street. Have you heard of him, Andrew Davis? Yeah, yeah. and his brother Tim. Has he got a brother Tim? Yeah. yeah. And go on, Matthew, how does he... Well, he, he does a lot of his, his runs up on like the sort of like the fells and the mountains in Wales and things like that, but obviously, you know, last year... Well, he ran, was it 14, 13, the 5K, obviously went to the European Championships Marathon and then on to the European 50K Champs as well. And I think he won the British, the, the, the European 50K Champs, I think. Did he? Well, he, got, he was on the podium, definitely. He broke the British record, I know that. Uh, Did he run the, two hours 14 for the marathon? He ran two hours 14 for the marathon at the trials in, in Manchester. And he was about 42, 43. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Hey, so... Uh, Hold my arms up, claim to fame. So there you go. Bro. I've beaten Andrew Davis <laughs> and Tim. Oh, have you really? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, but they were only boys. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So they came into their fell running scene. Their dad's a superstar for taking them absolutely everywhere, and he was a fell runner. But Tim and Andrew used to turn up and just go, but not always know where they were going, which was very helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it was a, there's a few races where I, you know, they're out of earshot. Uh, I was never, I never had the problem of thinking should I call them back, because they were too far ahead. But you're thinking I don't think that's really the right way to go. And fortunately for me, I'd take the right way, and you could hear these two chasing me down. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, all I got to do is hang on. I'd absolutely hang on and, and get over the line. And this, you know, it happened more than once that way. Like, ah, oh, that's just not funny. I'm like, hey, listen, boys, that's fell racing. You know, you've, it's not just about going fast. You've got to go the right way. It's not marked. So you've got to get to the checkpoints. And, it, and there's a lot of fun to be had in that. So that is another part of fell running that makes it more interesting. You might be fitter than me and you might be faster than me, but you might not be going the right way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you guarantee going the right oh, way? Oh, you don't. I've lost races because I've gone wrong. I always remember watching my dad do, because he, he liked his fell racing to a point, and then he, he, I think he fell coming down once, and that, and that put him off on the downhills after that. But yeah, I, must remember, mention I remember your, watching him. Sorry, I must mention John's worst fall, because I do recall it. But carry on. He, I, I just remember watching him do, we went to, we were up in Scotland on holiday, and there was a Highland Games, and we just went, and my dad entered the, the fell running it, yeah. and you could see the flag at the top, and my dad was the first one to the top, and we thought, oh, he's, he's got this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
he didn't come back for about two hours after that. The race was well gone and done, and the rest of the uh, the Highland Games were pretty much finished. And we're thinking, so where that, is he? He got lost in the grass and long grass somewhere on the way back down. And oh, yeah. didn't come back. <laughs> so we come back to the county team because all of the flatlanders. So I think there there are some of us that will do well yeah. internationally well in fell running in Merseyside, but the opportunity and why we need the team. And it's, you're a great example, Chris Pownell's a great example, of giving someone that sort of bags of potential as a runner the opportunity to see if they can run on the hills. And it's, running uphill is not the problem because history has taught me that roadrunners that present themselves at a fell race where the climb is runnable, they'll probably be in the top five. At the top of the first climb, they'll either be in the lead by a long way, and the Cadwalladers did it once at a... British relays, the pair of them went off and, and they came back in the lead after the first leg and uh, I was like, what's this a relay for, for fell running? Yeah, yeah, so the so British, the... It, it, so that was the FRA British relays that are in October. At the time we had a Merseyside fell running club, which was a very loose association, formally recognised, formally registered, but a loose association of the one or two people in every club that would then register second claim for Merseyside. And we got ourselves a, a team for the FRA relays and managed to persuade the two Cadwalladers to do the first leg. They came in, they were like six minutes ahead of everyone. I'm like, oh my God, we could win this. Oh my God, we could win this. Anyway, I went out on the second leg and we came back and still in the lead. I'm like, oh my God, we could really win this. This is going to really be something. The Flatlanders are going to win the relays. Anyway, our that would be a huge shock to other counties. Oh, it would be like that would be life changing. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because Merseyside would be seen as a. That would be so. That yeah. would be such a good laugh. That would be such yeah. a great thing to have done. Anyway, our the third leg's a navigation leg, and the two boys that went off on the a navigation leg just didn't come back. First came in and they weren't it. Second came in. Anyway, fifth came in, and uh, Cadwalladers lost it. They just went. Home. Oh, they were. They were. <laughs> Upset. Properly cross. Because, yeah, yeah. uh, I mean, they're from that, so we turn up to win. Yeah, yeah. And then by the time fifth came in, they're like, we're not winning. We're not even getting a medal. Oh, my God. Jumped in the car and went, oh. <laughs> Anyway, these two come in a long way back. And as they're running in, uh, one of them's like, have the cads gone? I was like, what do you mean, have the cads gone? Have the cads gone? I said, the cads have long gone. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so they came in and finished. All they worried about was how much, how annoyed and, and what was going to happen to them when the cads got hold of them. Because really? they were not going to be happy because they got lost. They'd got lost and, and I decided they'd spend the five pounds that one of them had on a bit of a shandy and then come back because we'd already lost the race. And we just needed to spend a little bit longer out so the cats would have gone home. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I was like, my God, guys, <laughs> this was a moment in history. You just wasted the whole moment in history. And they're like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But it happens. In fell racing, it happens. What is the history of the real, the October relays? Uh, so it's a, it's a British champs relay. It's been going for how Oh, for forever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we so another year we were running in, me and my partner running in. It's always in October. Always. Yeah. Hey, on the last leg, the two of us are running in. We're head-to-head -head with another two teams. And I've got my map in my hand, and it, he's gone with these two teams that were on head-to-head. -head. And I'm like, yeah, mate, yeah, mate. And he's like, yeah, mate. So 
the, the, the lad that was running with turned around and they said, ER mate, ER mate, they're getting away mate, what are ER mate? <laughs> the checkpoint's here, could we just punch the checkpoint? So he's like, what? I said, they're not, they, they're, they're disqualified, forget them. Oh. He's like, what? I said, let's just go off to that sheepfold, punch the checkpoint and see if we can catch them up. You've got to puncture the... So there are checkpoints in fell racing right. that you've got to visit. So I punched the checkpoint and then... Uh, well, how do you register it, sorry? So now you've got an electronic punch. Right. Previously, it was a paper punch right. that would give a pattern to show that you've been to that little... And the it's reason, an orienteering punch, basically. Yeah. And the reason they went past it, they just... Went, full, went, full head of steam. Yeah. Could see the finish. Yes. And actually, this one's a mile away, but it's still a checkpoint. So a checkpoint four and the finish is the end. Anyway, we, we caught one of them up and uh, they're head to head. And I'm like alongside I knew one of them I'm like you're not in the race anymore mate he's like what are you talking about I said we're not going to go to the death on the finish line because you're disqualified he's like don't get in my head leave me alone <laughs> and he carried on blasting it I said you missed the checkpoint and at that point it was just like someone let the tyre you know the air out yeah. of his tyre because he slowed down and his mate slowed down and we just went <laughs> straight through and uh, he came in at the end he's like we missed a checkpoint I said I know you missed a checkpoint I said, but so did my mate nearly missed the checkpoint. It was only because I stopped that he stopped and came back to me because he can't finish without me. I said, if I hadn't stopped, properly stopped, and I'd tried to run with him to catch him up to say, look, we've missed it, we'd be in the same, you know, we'd have been in the same position you was. But I just stopped. It's like, but how did you know? I said, I just had, you know, I just stayed in touch with the map, which is really easy not to do. Yeah. So particularly when you know a route, so you might have done a fell race 10 or 15 times and you get that full head of racing steam. And I've done this, you know, I know I know where I'm going and I'm wrapped up in the little group I'm racing with and we're, you know, in it to win it. And then you just go the wrong way and then you end up somewhere at a tarn or, you know, a rocky outcrop or a knoll or something like that. You're like, there, there isn't a tarn. The racing line does not have a tarn. And then you look at the map and you think, oh, the nearest town's quite a long way from the racing line. And then you might have taken one or two lads with you and they're like, where do you think we are? And I'm like, oh, I think we're here. I'm like, we should be there. They're not in the race anymore, buddy. And, 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 and that's fell racing. So I've done another, I did the British Champs race in North Wales. And I do, a bit, so one of the other points I really want to make in this discussion is that even though Merseyside is a flat land, for fell racing and for climbing and for playing out in the hills, it's perfect as a, as a jumping off point for the Lake District. It's an hour and a half to two hours away. The Peak District is a, an hour to two hours away. North Wales is 40 minutes if you're going to the Cluidians, you know, Mulvama, but it's an hour to two hours away. So they're all within reach of Merseyside, just over an hour. So the fell running community in the Lake District, I used to race a lot used to think, you know, where does he live? And I'd be like, well, I come from Morecambe. So they decided I lived in Morecambe and that's why I raced so much in the Fells, in, in the Lake District. North Wales thought, you know, here's a lad from England. He's not Welsh. The, the Welsh can be quite Welsh. He's not Welsh, but he's doing all of these races in North Wales. <laughs> he needs to join a North Wales running club because he's, you know, apart from not being Welsh, he's... he's doing all of his fell racing in North Wales. I'm like, I'm not doing all of my fell racing in North Wales. You'll see I'm racing in the lakes. 
and also in the Peak District. So all of the three places that are really the centres of foul running in the UK are, are all within reach of the Merseyside community. And, and that's a gift. That's just a gift to anyone that wants to get into fell running. You can go and explore the differences in fell running in the lakes, Snowdonia and the peaks because the rock is different. I'm not a geologist and I'm not into it, but you do, when it's underfoot, you recognise that there's a difference between running in the Lake District, the Peak District and North Wales. And you can really, you can play with that and you can also find which which races in those areas are the races that you like the most. The biggest problem that we have, and I used to enjoy it on a, more on a, more on the Wirral than on the, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, it, with South Liverpool. South Liverpool was always flat, but the Wirral race, it goes up, there, there are a few ups and downs, but any down, and I would be out the front, because they just don't have that ability to relax. Right. And, it, and that's, that's the difference. It, 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 I think it can be taught, but if, if, if you've got an ability to pick up your cadence alongside relaxing and make your stride as long as you can make it without it becoming high risk for you, then you'll run downhill fast. It's about picking up your cadence and just relaxing. So I used to get my breath back running downhill just by relaxing. Just relax and let gravity, yeah, gravity's good. Gravity's your friend. Let's just let's just turn our legs over as fast as we possibly can and not fall over. And, and that, that's, that's where races for me were won and lost. You know, I just have to be in this. I just have to be in this. Be able to see, at the, at the end of the last climb, I just have to be able to see who's in the lead. Because in the drop and then the running, I'm going to catch them. So I, 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 I did a, there's a start and a finish line. There is a start and a finish line, okay? That's true in every race, but that's, if someone's in the lead approaching the finish line, they've not got to the finish line. So I've got myself in trouble quite a few times from out sprinting people in foul races. Right. Not with the runner, but with the community that are watching because that's just not done. You can't out sprint someone in a fell race to win. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute, there's a finish line. So we sprinted for the finish line. Oh no, I've not been given prizes and all kinds. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, uh, I don't understand, sorry. No, I don't understand either. So- you, You've sprinted past someone towards the finish and they're upset that you've done that. Because they're already celebrating in the, in, the, in the sports field, finish field, you know, they're waving to friends and family and people in the local community. And I'm like, what are you waving for? You've still got 200 metres to the finish line. And you just go, see you later. And then you get in and like, why did you do that? It's because it's the finish line. Yeah. And how on earth did they try and stop you from picking up the prize? I can't imagine oh, they that conversation. You, they just don't give you it. So there was a great, oh, I don't, oh, this is, this is great. So it was uh, less than five miles from where I grew up. I did a fell race. It was an agricultural show. Uh, come prize, I'd won it. Yeah. Come prize giving, uh, big trophy. But many agricultural shows and uh, Highland Games are all the same as well. Yeah. They have a really nice perpetual trophy, beautiful silver thing engraved with the winners. Anyway, uh, the mayor was there in all of his stuff, 
called me out onto the stage, went up on the stage, and he turns around and gets the trophy. And he's he's just reaching over to give it to me, yeah? And someone pulls his arm back. And he, he resists it and tries to present the trophy again. And this lady pulls his arm back. And there's a bit of a... And, and then he's looking at me and he's looking at her and then he's looking at me again. He's like, there's this muffled conversation about, and there's people, you know, looking and sniggering and they're like, what's going on here? And he's, he's like, anyway, he eventually releases the trophy back to the lady and shakes my, <laughs> shakes my hand. And, 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 and you know, I'm, I, I am what I am. So I'm like, what's going on there, mate? And he's like, don't worry about that. You're not having the trophy. So we're still on the stage and the mic's there. I said, why am I not having the trophy? He said, we're not going to go into that here right now. But congratulations, well done for winning. So we probably are going to go into that right here, right now. Because uh, there's a winner and there's a winner's trophy. And he said, there, you're right, son. There, There is a winner. You're the winner. And there is a winner's trophy. But we don't give it out. <laughs> we don't give it out to the winner. So I said... Mm, okay, but you were just about to give it out to the winner. He's like, should we just move on to second place? I was like, well, whatever you've decided to do, it's not right. It's just not right. And when we finish this prize giving, I will be coming back to get an explanation. And the explanation, I was totally disgusted with this. Uh, you're from Liverpool. I was like, well, what difference does that make? Like, well... That's quite a long way from where this fell race is, and we want it. We want the trophy back. I said, but beg your pardon. <laughs> I was like, that's 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 not that's not right. I said, I grew up less than five miles away from here. Do you want my mum's? Do you want my mum's address? Does that make you feel any better? I'm like, oh, did you? I said, yes, I did. Does that change anything? And their face changed. I said, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have it. Honestly, I won't have it, and you won't see me again either. I won't be coming back here. I'm sorry, but that's not that's not right. But in fairness to them, that's also happened in North Wales. So that was a bad experience. No, it wasn't a bad experience. It's just part of it. It also yeah. happened at the Devil's Gallop. So I, the, the Devil's Gallop doesn't exist anymore. But Red Rum, Red Rum presented my prize to me. So the horse. Yeah, obviously. The, horse <laughs> the, the horse was the horse started the race, and then I got. Uh, I got I don't know what I got actually but I didn't get the trophy but I got to hold the trophy briefly for a second I had my picture taken with red rum and then they took the trophy off me <laughs> and, but like, by that time I already knew actually you don't take all trophies home sometimes you don't get even yeah. to hold it so I can understand though really that this trophies are 50 years old and worried that it might not that's right so if the trophy's so special to you you know all you're really doing is letting the person hold it for a photograph and then it's yeah. going back to wherever. So mm. I, I, I probably shouldn't have made such a big deal the first time it happened because yeah. I hadn't come across it before and I probably took it a little bit... But it was a shock at the same time. I, I took it a bit yeah. personal that, that that's just a tainted misinterpretation of Liverpudlians. It's right. an outrage. <laughs> and actually it wasn't. It was just, you know, you're just too far. It's not that you're from Liverpool, but I made it... At the time, I decided it was about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually now... I've had the same experience in Liverpool and I've had the same experience in North Wales. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. And actually, you know, in the Highland Games where I've won one of those yeah. and they've given me the trophy, I'm like, look, I might not come back next year. You need to have the trophy. You keep the trophy. Because 
I don't want to have to go all this distance or stick it in the post. So they're like, no, 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 I'm sure you'll send it back because they're a bit more laid back. Like, no, 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 you keep it. I've had my picture taken with it, with my kids. That's it. I don't need anything else. Yeah. You keep it. So it's just a bit of fun. Isn't it? Again, come back to it's a hobby. It's just a bit of fun. All of this is the rich tapestry of life, someone might say. Definitely. Putting this team together, we're closing in on the on the on the pod on, on the, the time frame that we've got. How are you gonna put this team together in the future? That idea that you mentioned um, used to have a Merseyside team. That sounded like a great idea, but it, it, it petered out that it didn't last or Well, so we we created that because there were nine of us. And and for the relays, for example, you need six runners. And for a champs race, you need five counters. Could you have, let's say, a, a fell... I, I, I think they should have something like this with cross-country because Merseyside are not very good competitively at cross-country. In the inter-counties, they, they don't seem to have much success. Yeah, well, attract, attract championships. I haven't got many entries. Entries close Friday. Uh, put it out there for any Merseyside listeners that listen to this. I'll get this out tomorrow, so at least it's in time for anyone who wants to enter the county champs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, don't think, I think there's something like four adults entered into the county champs oh, seniors yeah. or something like that yeah. from last time. Mm. Um, I was thinking with the cross country, if they had a development squad Merseyside where they, they had a, someone connected to all the, all the clubs who liaised and sort of put some sessions on for a team that was wanting to be selected for the inter-counties, let's say, and they planned it, you know, but it's pie in the sky, perhaps it's too too much. But um, just to have something in looking forward, mo- motivation for these guys working together, What could you have something similar for foul running? Or? Well, so I think they, the more we talk about it and the more people, for my sins, you know, I'm now, if, if you like, that go-to person in Merseyside if you're interested in foul running. And that, let's see if that's enough. So, uh, if we if we regularly turn out an inter, a team in the inter-counties, then... Well, you, you say you've got to practice this, I imagine, well, you've got to practice. Uh, you couldn't just turn up at races to, to practice that, that skill. You'd have to travel one, two hours away. But as a group, could that be... No. Could that never work? So, uh, you could follow my... The way I've made fell running work is so... Uh, I don't suffer from pride. Pride comes before a fall. So I'll race myself fit. So there are races that I'll do in fell racing where I know I'm I'm not going to be competitive, but I'm still going to do it. I'm going to race flat out because by the time I've done three or four of these, I'm race fit on the fells. And for the rest of the time, you know, come back to our work for, oh gosh, 28 years in the Royal Liverpool Hospital. So the best park in Liverpool is 0.4 of a mile away, and that's Everton Park. And you can see North Wales from Everton Park. It's got the best view of anywhere in Liverpool. And there's a set of steps. There's a set of steps from the bottom to the top. You just do reps. I used to do reps on the steps. So bang in 20 reps, mindless, two or three steps at a time mindless reps on this set of stairs with the you know the red triangle boxes you could have a great laugh with the boxes because they'll never catch you so the, the the kids in the environment give you loads of grief loads of banter and uh, you pay it back 
with the boxers because the boxers are never ever going to catch you so you can give them the same banter that the kids give you because yeah. it's just about having banter isn't it so you can verbally abuse the boxers and they'll take it and you know if i if you ever get within arm's reach of me mate you are dead dead you're like yeah yeah but that's never going to happen it's the same with the kids isn't it you know you don't say it but they know you're thinking it if you ever get within arm's reach of me mate you're dead dead and they're thinking no we're not because there's six of us you're proper dead dead if you yeah. catch it so it doesn't really play out logically, but with the boxers it does, because they're just going to hurt you, they're not going to kill you. But Everton is a great place to go fell racing. To prepare yourself for fell racing, it's a great place. You've got to be a little bit focused, so 20 reps, 20 intense reps twice a week in Everton. You can actually drop over the other side and do a longer rep without the steps down into Stanley Park, and you can go up and down the road. So for the Snowdonia Marathon, which is... It's a road race, but it's, it's as close you get to a proper fell race on the road, and it'd be a marathon. I've heard of this Everton Hill. Is that part of it? Yeah, yeah. So you just do reps on Everton, and you get a, you get a great view of the hillside. Uh, one of my so one of the fun things there was doing reps, and you turn around on the bit of a grass mound at the top, and there was a lad there in a Liverpool scarf and the full kit, and he was he was the top of the hill. So I did a, a lap round him. I went back down, did my next one, and I came up again, did another lap round him, but there was a few more people with cameras around him, so I looked at him and thought, oh, he's somebody famous, and decided he was somebody famous that was playing for Liverpool. Anyway, I I, I didn't know, didn't recognise him, so I was like, oh, he's a new signing. Anyway, there's a, a lady with a pushchair with a lad, and uh, I'm really bad with names, so I've forgotten who it is, but she said, he's so-so at the top of the hill, and I said, I don't know, but there is someone at the top of the hill yeah. who's clearly just been a, signed for Liverpool because there's loads of press taking his picture and I was just using him as a turning post. <laughs> what was his name? Spanish player. He was great, actually. In the, in, oh, Suarez? No, no, no. The, the one before Suarez. We've got to go back a little bit more than that. Young lad. They're all young lads. Striker. Really good striker. Matthew? He doesn't know. He begins with J. I'm sure it begins with J. So not sure, but it doesn't matter. No, no. But so and the other Richard Burney, you know Richard Burney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked with Richard last year. He was was great. And uh, as a cross country runner, he would have that ability. Those are types of. I imagine people like him who would naturally be good on the fells. So he did the he he, uh, Leo. In the days where Leo was the team manager, uh, we persuaded Richie to come and do the inter-counties. He, f- he finished fifth or sixth on the day. Right. And that was enough to get him in the England team. He was selected for England as a fell runner. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So I was like, hmm, okay. I understand uh, that's a great opportunity, but oh, I've been waiting all my life for that. <laughs> <laughs> but on the fells, you can get injured and your worst ever injury I remember you recall four or five years you tell me about this in yeah. gra- graphic detail yeah yeah listener, please. yeah well uh, so fell running is very low impact compared to road running in general for training but actually at the point where it's impact it hurts so you you know particularly if you're running downhill at that point faster than you're in control of uh, then when you hit the ground it hurts so uh, I've broken stuff uh, but when I was younger, it would it was less significant. 
But once I got towards uh, the, my late 40s, the injury is quite significant. But anyway, this particular injury, I was on the, the Paris Horseshoe, 19 miles, starts in Lamberis, finishes in Lamberis and does everything as a circle around Lamberis. 19 and a half miles, I think, 7,500 feet. Second to last tops, Snowden. Last tops, this thing called King Horian. And I was just on the run in, back into Lamberis through the forest track, head to head with a lad for victory. And uh, I just flipped. We were running through, not really long grass, not really running any, through anything, a bit of uh, forest track with some sheep in it. And I just flipped. What do you mean by flipped? Flipped over onto my head. Jeez. And uh, just ended up grinding my head into the ground and picked myself up. I had a whole load of muck and whatever in my right eye. And uh, picked myself up and started running again and instantly stopped running again because I was like, oh, my leg hurts. Looked down at my leg and I just had a great big hole in my shin. Jesus. Really, really proper hole. Not, not very long, you know, maybe four or five centimetres long, but it was a proper hole. I was like, wow, that is, that, that's not good. Anyway, I thought, I thought, I could see the lad running away from me. I was like, look, we're nearly at the finish. Let's worry about this at the finish. So I started running again and I started running for all my life was worth, because it's 19 and a half miles. I was not about to give up winning. Remember, it's about, you know, <laughs> competing and winning. So anyway... I started chasing this lad down and he heard me coming and he looked, looked back at me and at the point where he looked back at me, at me it was one of those flat tyre moments. He just, everything went out of him. Just from looking at me, everything went out of him and I just went past him and uh, got into the finish and the, everyone on the finish line just stepped back. I was like, it's not that bad. They're like, oh, it is that bad. It is that bad. And I was just going to go over to the lake in Lamberis and wash my leg out uh, and one of them came over and said, you're not going to the lake. You're, not, you're going straight to hospital, mate. You're not going to the lake. And I, I saw the lad that had come in second. I said, what happened? He said, what happened? Have you seen the state of you? I was like, yeah, okay. It's often worse for the person that's seen the accident than the person that's actually been in the accident. And I knew that already. So I was like, it, it can be quite traumatic to witness an accident, a bad accident. He was like... No, 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 no. He said, I could not believe you were, co you were coming after me. I saw what happened. You were, you were done, mate. But there you were, like some ghost chasing after me. And he said, that was it. I was done. I was like, well, I'm really happy you were done because I'm, I'm obviously going to be in hospital for a while here. So it was important to win because I can always just sit back and think, well, at least I won. Anyway, I went, to, uh, it, it, I, I went back to the race registration and it turned out there was a vet there who uh, emptied the waste bin, put my leg in the, in the waste bin and started flushing it out down into the waste bin just to get the blood out of the way and all of that muck, just to see what the damage was like. So we, we could see the damage and, and she said, okay, you, yeah, yeah, you're, you're off the banger. So one of them uh, would follow in their car and another one would drive my van to banger because, you know, I'll be stuck. Yeah. When they've stitched me up, I'll be stuck without my car. So take my car, put it in the car park, and I'll, you know, whatever they do to me, I'll drive home after that. Anyway, got tr it's a bad day. Saturday afternoon is a bad day to go to any casualty, because yeah. particularly in North Wales, every rug rugby player in North Wales is in casualty. And it was, it was just another sports injury on the Saturday afternoon. 
and uh, I saw a practice nurse and uh, they shot my leg up with painkillers and then came back with a, a bag of saline and a toothbrush. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to do with the toothbrush? I'm going to clean it out. Okay, cool, that's fine by me. So we, we started flushing out this hole in my leg. Remember, you can't feel anything because they've shot you up with local anaesthetic. They're flushing this thing out and there's all kinds of sheep poo and everything, grass, coming out of it. When you say flushing it out? They're just rinsing, yeah. rinsing out the yeah, yeah. hole. Uh, and, and I'm taking pictures with my phone because, you know, I could see my tibia. Oof. And uh, the toothbrush is going down past my tibia and into my calf muscle from the front. And uh, we're flushing it out. And I sort of, you're a spectator in your own procedure here because you're like, do you think you've got everything? And he's like, well, what else could there be in there? So he goes off for another bag of saline. So I'm there with the toothbrush and I can put my finger in and I can get behind my tibia and into my calf muscles. So I'm sort of in behind, scooping around. I'm still pulling out bits of ground. And so he comes back in and I'm like, it's not all out. And he's like, it is all out. I said, no, no, it's not. It's definitely not all out. I said, I can, I can get some with my finger. He said, you've been going in there with your finger. I said, I, I need to go into theatre. I need to go into theatre and, you know, have a proper clean out. So he's like, no, no, it's clean. We get this all the time. It's not like this. He said, this is a, you know, this is a stab wound from the front that's gone into the back. It's in my calf muscle. We, this, this is going to end badly for me. Right. Anyway, he, he said, no, 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 we're all clean. We'll give it one more flush and we'll give it a bit of a brush and we'll send you out. So anyway, he gave me 15 stitches and off I went, drove home. Anyway, two days later, it was, it was as red as you like, size of a balloon. Could t- still tell I, tell I had toenails, but the rest of my foot was lost. It was just a pink balloon, red pink balloon. So I presented back at the lo- local hospital and said, I don't think this is right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but that's quite a big hole you've got. So it'd just be inflammation. Go home, give it a couple of days. So the next day, the red was right up to my hip joint. I had a really, really clear change, a step change in where it was all swollen and red and where normal, non-swollen, whitish, pink tissue started. I was like, this is, you know, this is like something you'd see on the elephant man this is a properly ballooned whole leg so I went back went back to the walking centre and said look this is I'm not happy with this this is not right so they said eh, it's probably right given the size of the injury go on see if it settles down so the next day I decided that this is this is three days later this is not this is actually it's four this is not anything that's right this this is much more serious than that so I presented back they sent me home again and this is where, you know, thankfully, I'd worked in the Royal. I'd done a lot with medical devices. I knew that you could represent yourself in A&E. So, you know, you can be sent home, but you can also represent yourself. So I went out of the walk-in and straight back in the door beside it. I represented myself as a new case because yeah. I'd been sent home oh, yeah. at A&E. Yeah. And uh, tri- I got triaged and like, well... That, that, that doesn't look great we'll get someone to look at it so like mm, it's hard to say that really it doesn't look so bad uh, so I said okay uh, I've heard this now for the last three visits I'm not happy and could we just bring uh, orthopedic trauma reg down just have, just humour me I'll wait outside as long as you like I'm not going home I'm just not going home again it's not right I'm not right it's not right 
just bring somebody down who has seen trauma a lot who could just send me home so anyway they did that I had to wait a few more hours like three hours but it was alright I've been there seven seven's normal waiting time now but at the time it wasn't quite seven but uh, he came down and he said oh 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 right okay you're not going home so I said good I know I'm not going home I'll put you on the trauma list you're 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 in next next gap we've got you're on the the trauma list and you're, you're going in to theater and and this is another one of those moments in your life where he said you're not gonna die now don't worry but we'll see about saving your leg he's like oh, oh hang on a minute it's only four days ago since i won a fell race what do you mean you're not gonna die we'll see about saving your leg i said can we see about saving my leg and I'm not worried about dying? <laughs> He's like, what? I said, oh, I'd rather save my leg and, and, and be alive. And, you know, what am I going to do without my leg? So the dying bit's not an issue for me. Just save the leg. He's like, yeah, right. That's not quite the right way to look at it. But we'll deal with that later. So I said, well, what, what are we going to do right now? If I'm on the list to go into surgery, what are we going to do right now? Because this is, the leg's killing me now. There is no expansion left in it. Could you just do something now? He said, what, what have you got in mind? I, said, I think we could just take some sutures out and puncture the hole and let it drain. So he's like, oh, that's not a half bad idea. That's, let's, let's do that. So he got a couple of assistants and the three of them are looking on and I was like, you need a sheet. He's like, why do we need a sheet? I said, because it's going to be your biggest spot that you've ever seen on the planet. It's going to blow, isn't it? It's going to just go. There's so much pressure in this, it's just going to go. Anyway, the two that were either side are holding up this sheet and he's got his hands under the sheet and he cut the suture and it just went... And I've just got a big smile on my face because it's just like, oh, that is so great. Thank you. That's already worth coming. Anyway, (laughs) two days later, I got into theatre because if you're in trauma, there can be RTAs. You know, I wasn't dying... Once I'm draining and I'm on antibiotics, I wasn't dying anymore. So I'm pretty bottom of the list. We know you need seen to, but you know, there's RTAs and all kinds of things that are more important than you. So yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Get to me whenever you like. Anyway, two days later, I went into theatre and I was, and you, if you ever do this, it's a waste of time because I'm like, look guys, make a small incision as you possibly can because I want to get back to running as soon as possible. And they've got a different... They've got a different mandate. Yeah, we're trying to save your leg and your life, mate. If, when you get back to running, they're all very, very nice. Yeah, yeah, we'll do what we can, but they, you know, forget that. Yeah. Let's just save his leg and his life. He's off with the fairies thinking about he's going to be running next week. <laughs> so it came out of that and they said, we've left it open. Uh, you're going to have to go back in again because we don't think we've got everything. I was like, well, no, hang on a minute. Everything's already out because I've, I've been in casualty and it's been cleaned out with a toothbrush uh, everything's already out I'm like no everything's not already out so uh, and we've given it a good go but we're not 100% certain so if it doesn't settle down because there's still stuff in it in the next two days you're coming back in so two days later I was on the list went, I'd never been in surgery before in my life two days later I'm back in surgery like an old hand yeah 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 whatever you like guys I've already got a massive hole in my leg now because you guys just made it huge compared to what it was before thanks for nothing anyway 
came out of that one and they'd stitched it up, had 19 stitches, but it, everything was still the size of a balloon. And uh, nurses are great. You, you, you only have to ask a nurse directly and she'll give you the answer. So uh, I'm there with the, the, the day staff are giving me a very positive spin and the night staff are like, what's gonna happen? When am I going home? And like, okay, you're on the list for two days time. I was like, list? Yeah, you're going in again. So, now we're done, I'm sutured. They're like, no, 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 you're going in again. You're on the list for two days time to, t to have your leg off. I was like, oh, 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 okay. Oh, okay. So what do I have to do between now and then to get off the list? She says, well, you've, that's got to go down. That's got to go down. I said, right, okay. Well, it is what it is. She said, well, it is what it is, but I, I tell you what you can do. You can start drinking more and you can stop getting up and walking to the toilet. Ring the bell, ring the bell and we'll help you because that's going to help you a lot. Just stop thinking that it's not a problem and you're going to be all right. You're not all right. It is a problem. Just stop trying to walk about and do stuff, stay in bed for two days and see what happens. Because if you don't, your leg's coming off. So at that point, I was like, oh, okay, what would I do if I lost my leg? Because you've got a lot of time in hospital to think, what would you do? I was like, well, okay. Uh, at the time, he wasn't quite, uh, we didn't understand the complete nutcase that was the sprinter. And, and you think, well, okay, you know, running with blades is possible. And then the, all of the sort of, well, what would you do? How would you fell run with a blade? Could you, could you, would you run with a blade? And all of that went through my mind. I was like, we, we, actually, I might be able to run faster. And I had a positive spin <laughs> on losing my leg before I'd lost my leg. And I was like, this is a really surreal, I must be really high on whatever they've got in my arm here because this doesn't sound so bad. In the long term, this doesn't sound so bad. And actually, in the short term, it would have been absolutely horrendous. But, I, you know, I wasn't going to die. And actually, when he, when he told me that, I was thinking, well, maybe I'd prefer to die than lose my leg. But actually, he sort of came round to that. But to get to the end, two days later, that same night nurse, she comes in and she's like, you're a lucky son of a whatever. I said, why? She said, well, you're going home tomorrow. I was like, I'm not going home tomorrow. I'm going to theatre to have my leg off. She's like, no, you're not, sunshine. You're better. I was like, I'm not better. Look at it. She's like, no, no, you're going home. You're going to get discharged tomorrow. You're going home. That's it. You're done. No, no, no. I'm on the list to go. And, and we're having this discussion. She's like, no, honestly, most of the people in here take a long time to recover. We're having a laugh about you because you came in fit as a butcher's dog with a really big hole in your leg, dying from the infection, going to cut your leg off. The infection's clearing out because you've decided to phone the buzzer every time you need a pee and you're drinking water like it's coming out of the tap. You know, you're doing everything, finally doing everything that you've been told to. And the recovery rate is off the chart. You know, at this rate, you might be back running next week. Who knows? So she said, you'll get discharged tomorrow. I said, well, what's involved in the discharge? She said, you just have to be able to walk up and down the stairs because the toilet in your house is up the stairs. Well, I could just stay upstairs. She's like, now we've already discovered that your release criteria is that you have to be able to walk up and down the stairs. I said, how fast do I have to do it? She's like, it's not about the speed. You just have to be able to do it. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. And I did. 
got discharged and then two weeks later uh, I had to go back to outpatients to have a look at it anyway I cycled because <laughs> I couldn't run so I cycled and, it, and, and, and you walk in with your little cycle helmet and they're like how did you get in it's like well I think you can guess <laughs> okay why did you cycle oh because I can't run <laughs> and then, and that's when you know you realise you've made a really big mistake with the healthcare provider because they're like, you've got a big hole in your leg with 19 stitches. We're going to look at how the 19 stitches are and how it's healing. It's like, okay, well that's what I'm here for. Good, but you cycled here. It's like, yeah, yeah, I need to stay sort of fit, don't I? Otherwise, I'm never getting back to running. <laughs> and 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 that's when you live in a separate universe. You know, when you there's a part of you that does not live in the real world. Because the real world just helps people get back to living life normally. And actually, there's not a lot normal about what I've just described there and what the priorities were to get back to. But it, it, it happened. I've done it again now since then, but we're way over time now. No. <laughs> and, and you got back, you made a full recovery? Uh, no. Uh, well, you, it took you how many, four, couple of months to get back racing, I mean? No, I haven't made a full recovery. Oh, this was the most. This was most recent. Then. Well, I was forty nine, fifty six right. now, Sorry, yeah. and actually, yeah. I still haven't made a full recovery. Right. Yeah, and the reason why I haven't made a full recovery is I keep coming back to racing before I've made a full recovery. Right. Because it's just about racing. It's a hobby. So definitely, haven't made a full recovery, but I've recovered enough to go back racing. Because I hate training and I love racing. And, and just just to grow way, way, way over time. So the second point where I was going to retire was where I never won a race in a, when I never won a single race in a calendar year. That was going to be absolutely the point where I stopped racing. I stopped running. How old were you then, Charlie? Uh, well, it's two years now since I haven't won a, a race outright. So I should have retired two years ago. So I've had this this fun for the last two years where you know you should have retired by now why are you still racing and I'm still playing in that space because I hate losing so one of the things that once you start winning you hate losing right. I, I accept that losing is part of winning I don't have to like it I never have to like it you have to be a considerate loser you, you know you can't be some sour puss that doesn't accept losing and is really a bad loser openly a bad loser you've got to lose well publicly because it's part of winning but in your own mind when you're back home you've got to hate it you've absolutely got to hate losing because that's what's going to keep you at the front you're not going to win every time but you've got to hate losing so not winning in a not winning a single race in a calendar year is a big deal in that in your own mind there's many more options going forward with your your, your category. Yeah, you, um, so you, yeah. So that's pretty much what keep I'm, you motivated. I'm resigning myself to. Well, you can play in my lane. I can play in my lane and be internationally competitive. Yeah. I don't want to play in my lane. I still want to win outright. But age catches up with everybody. So you just got to. Then that's that's the bit. Yeah. I'm struggling with. And it, it, when you say age catches up with you, it's not that age catches up with you really in that way age catches up with you in sport and particularly first-hand experience in running is recovery time so i can't do the training and the racing so i can't race back to back forget it i can't even do three races a week without falling to bits and picking up something that hurts 
Whereas previously, you could do that. You could race and train at that intensity and push through. And that's where you need to be. You know, if you're gonna be in that top 1%, that's where you need to be. But once you can't do that and you can't push through, you can't recover at the same rate that you could in your 20s and your 30s, then you're not training as hard. And that's self-fulfilling then. Because you're not training as hard, you're not in that top 1%. You're not always in that top 5% anymore because you just can't put in the kinds of training sessions that you need in between racing. Can't race myself fit. So for those who are listening today and you want to join in this grand experiment of get, getting Merseyside back to the top or to the top for the first time. For the to- top for the, for the first, for first time, time. I'll just take that. Then please speak with Mr. John Hunt. A round of applause. <laughs> Acceptable guest. Thank you so much, John.